Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Doug, and you are listening to What's the Hazard? It's April 16th, Friday, April 16th, and we have, uh, we've got kind of an overcast day, a little chilly, but man, they're all top 10 days. I, I never have a bad day if I can help it, so. At least it's not winter. <laughs> exactly, man. We are through that, I think, although I thought we, I heard something about maybe having snow flurries on Monday or something ridiculous hey, like as that. as long as I don't have to shovel it, I'm fine. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> hey, um. Before we get started and I introduce my guest, I have a very special guest today. I just want to be I want to be clear, you would not be listening to What's the Hazard if it wasn't for three incredibly generous sponsors. Uh, CCS Group and Cheyenne Wolford, my good buddy down in Seward, the Nebraska Department of Labor on-site consultation group and our buddy Jim Cover. Wow. Yes, that's what I said. And then uh, our newest sponsor, John Fallowich with Fallowich Construction Services. We did a really interesting episode last week, and um, I loved it. Yeah, it was a good one. Thank it you, was. man. And it was really fascinating, and it's had a lot of views. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and all of the supporters of the podcast. Man, we just continue to get good comments and support. Uh, if you enjoy the content and you want to contribute, um, I am not above taking your your money. I know everybody's asking for your money, but we're trying to continue to expand the podcast grow the outreach, do more for you. Uh, you can go to the website, FletcherSafety.com, and find a way to contribute if you want to do that. And if not, just keep listening. We appreciate that. My guest today, and uh, it's been too long, man. We, um, my guest is Chris Bryant from Chris Bryant Safety. Uh, everybody knows him in this area. If you have been doing safety in this region, you know Chris. Uh, you'll recognize his voice. You will recognize his picture when I post it on the website. Um, he's a true believer. I am. You know, man, um, what more can I say? You are a believer in what we do. And with every fiber of your being, I can tell, and you've devoted your whole life to it. I have, I have. I which is incredibly being, impressive. You know, and it's a common trait with all of us in this profession and community that we're very principled people. Mm -hmm. I agree. And those principles are a promise. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to waver, and I've always got your back, and, and we're going to look out for one another and make sure that, you know, we get home in the same shape or better every day at work. Absolutely. And I just try to build that kind of mindset and, and, and get some hearts to care a little bit more about one another when it's very difficult to do in this day and age. It can be. So, I agree. Yeah. Well, you do some incredible work, man, and you have an incredible history, too, which I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm, almost, I'm always almost as excited to talk about what you have done when I'm introducing you to someone, as I am to hear you, because it's just so fascinating, the things you've done. So I do want to get into that in sure. just a minute, but I've got a couple of observations, and we talked briefly about this. I wanted you to be able to participate in these discussions, but unfortunately, in my, as a consultant, you know this. I get, you know, I communicate with my clients on a regular basis, and they email me pretty regularly if they need something or just to check in, but the text, please call me. You know, or call me as soon as possible. That text is it just puts a knot in my stomach when I get this from a client, right? I get right. that. This is the uh, something's happened text. And so I got one of those last week. I got this message from one of my clients. Please call me as soon as possible. I'm like, oh, crap. And I immediately get that knot in my stomach. So I call him right away. And he's describing an incident. They have an employee um, who was using a solvent-based cleaner, aerosol cleaner, to clean out a box, this box held tools, and it had been, it gets, it's outside, it gets some rainwater in it, it gets some grease in it, the employee had removed the contents and was cleaning this, the inside of this box out with this solvent-based cleaner, and then thought to themselves, not, not unlike any, somebody with initiative, you thought, well, maybe if I drilled a drain hole in the bottom of this, the rainwater wouldn't accumulate, we wouldn't keep, all this grease wouldn't accumulate, so right after having wiped everything out with this cleaner, reached in with his hand drill, pulled the trigger, the motor sparked, and it ignited that yeah. vapor. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is the truest form of HASCOM issue that we really deal with, right? Right. I mean, we talk a lot about the hazard communication standard and all of the different elements that we have to meet to be compliant, SDS's written program, all that stuff. But the bottom line truly is, how to work safely with chemicals. Know the hazards of your chemicals. And I'm afraid that perhaps this individual was not fully aware of the hazards of that chemical, the flammability issues, the vapor density issues. You know, that 
you know, I don't care if you're a chemist, but you should know whether or not the vapor sinks or rises, you right. know? Yeah, no, exactly. And, oh, my God, man. We unfortunately hear about this way too often, even in our community. And uh, we briefly mentioned when you brought this up, uh, we lost a young man, and it was in custodial services, I believe, mm-hmm. south of the Omaha I think area right. down near Beatrice probably about a year ago. And he was just trying to do a good job and – Maybe something wasn't working, something was working, and he mixed a few things together, and it created something that ended up being deadly for him. And, yeah. and it's a shame. And it's not that he didn't have the information or didn't weren't able to go get it. But it was not understanding the information. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I we'll find that unfortunately when it comes to just the simplicity of Hascom training, it's not that in depth. It's basically, hey, we need you to be aware of all this stuff. This is the chemical inventory we have, and here's how you can go and get information about it specifically. Now, people that go through Hazwopper, where they're responsible to go do spill response and cleanup, and they get additional and required annual training as a refreshers, that level of thinking of stratification of gases based mm-hmm. off of their specific gravity or the density of it and how that may accumulate in the bottom of that bin. Mm-hmm. And if he'd have been aware of that, maybe he'd have just known, I'm going to tip this over to the side, let it air out a little bit, and let some wind blow through here and, and undo the secret recipe for that fire right? or you know that explosion. But not really thinking about it, just trying to get the job done and said, this is the tool for the job. And he was correct, just not quite yet. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, maybe it's the fact that maybe the Hascom wasn't as thorough as it or maybe it just wasn't presented to the audience or the mm-hmm. workers at this particular place in a way that they get it yeah. and couldn't relate to it and, yeah. and ultimately retain it. And that's where I see a lot of problem when it comes to our safety training is that they get in the training and you've documented it and everything's going great. But, you know, four months later, if you go inquire about some of the training, they're not remembering it or the mm-hmm. training. So that means the training is not impactful enough. I would agree. That's really interesting. I, I know Hascom is difficult, and we're always struggling to keep all of those pieces in order. The system is a challenge. Yeah, it makes it very challenging, but the ultimate objective is to know the hazards of those chemicals and how to work safely with them. Amen. I mean, that, that's it. Amen. And it's I tell, just that simple. When I get into this realm, and which is one of my wheelhouses, confined mm-hmm. spaces, uh, places that people don't want to be around, especially these chemicals, I get to telling people, I said, i tell you what, if you could just memorize four or five things about the top three chemicals that you work around, you'd be in the top 1% of all America's workers in safety consciousness. Mm -hmm. If you knew the signs and symptoms that this would give you, what my immediate steps are for first aid or to get fresh air or whatever it calls for within the safety data sheet, if you just know what the signs and symptoms are, then you actually get to perform Mm self-rescue. Absolutely. Instead of someone else having to rescue that. And so it's just thinking about things before we go go out and do them. There's a couple of employers in town, prominent employers. They actually have a thing called a two-minute drill. And whenever there's any definable feature of work or a task that someone's going to do, especially if there's not a JSA or AHA Mm -hmm, attached mm -hmm. to it, they ask their employees, take two minutes and let's just think about what could cause me grief right here. Mm -hmm. And even if it's just as simple as, okay, I'm in a new part of the plant or I'm out at this remote construction site, if the tornado, tornado alarms go off, what's my plan? Where am I going? Where's the nearest overpass? Mm -hmm. Where can I find a swell ditch? That's all Mm -hmm. I've got out here at this remote site. But just take two minutes and come up with a plan on what to do. I love it. Yeah. So I try to encourage people, learn three or four things about your most prevalent chemicals around you, Mm -hmm. especially if they're health-related and it's a long-term exposure would cause you some problems. It's not going to just jump up in your face. Right, right. you got to be mindful of that, and it falls back on your training and ultimately remembering your training as you go about and do your duties each day. Uh, you know, that was the one thing that I was most interested in when I was a compliance officer working for OSHA. One of the, I mean, it's easy. I, I found it was more useful as a compliance officer if I was interacting with an employee just to ask them about, you know, those chemicals. For example, rather than hit them with, well, where do you get the safety data sheet? I don't really care where you get the data sheet, man. You, you know where the, they're in the office, right? <laughs> right? I mean, we know where the, but what I want to know is, hey, I see you're using that chemical. What, what? What worries you about that? What are the hazards of that chemical? Give me some idea. Is it corrosive? Is it toxic? Right. Is it flammable? Is I mean, if you know something about that, then I, that gives me much more comfort about the effectiveness of this program. If you just look at it and like, uh, I know you're not supposed to drink it, or you know something like that, I mean, well, okay, I'll give you that, but that's all I really want to know. Right. You know? Hey, at least you know one route of entry. <laughs> exactly. You know, that's one. Are there any other routes of entry, yeah. like absorption? If that's exactly. the case, then what do you think you might want to do about that? Put some PPE on. Right. Or, you know, 
handle it with care. Get that apron, maybe a face shield and those goggles, whatever the protocol is. And if you, if your uh, your organization's protocols aren't as robust as maybe say the SDS is calling for, then think about that. What can we do to go above and beyond instead of just being a minimum compliance company? Let's be a best practice company. Yeah. And it's exactly. just one little thought at a time and implementing it. And the fact that all of our workers should, you know, not feel any fear in bringing up something that concerns them in a safety world. Exactly. And you don't want to be a burden to just be that person nagging all the time. But obviously when it's legit and something's of concern, man, bring it up. Right. And all the great safety people that I know in the profession are all ears. Yes. Because they get their best information from their field folks. Yeah, that is exactly you know, or right. Or the people out on the floor. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, it's so good to have you here, man. It's oh, been, man, it's, it's always a pleasure, long. Doug. It's been a long time since we've done it this It has work been a long together. time, and yeah. we started working on a project last week. We sure you know, did. When I needed expertise, I turned to you, and we're working on a project for a client of mine that's going to be fantastic. Uh, so I'm glad we're doing this. Well, they're um, a vital part of our community, and we yeah, want to are. make sure that you know things for them are working out as well as it is for everyone else right now. That's right. Um, you touched on something. You, you mentioned tornado. Yeah. One of the things that we are doing uh, are – my buddy, Jose Orlana, who's a local safety guy, teaches up at Metro Community College. Oh, yeah. He teaches um, industrial safety, workplace safety classes up there. And his students send me questions from time to time, which I think is fantastic. Uh, I get to mention their name on the podcast and read their question. And this is an interesting one because um, Ryan Witchman, I think, is the name of the student, had sent in the question, what will happen if a building is not up to standards and having a severe weather shelter? Would they be required to build one or maybe tear apart the building to install one, like in a school or something? So I guess the question is, you know, emergency preparedness and sheltering in place. And, um, you know, work environments are so different. You know, there are some folks working outdoors. There are some folks working in really unsuitable shelters. You know, there is no – OSHA doesn't really demand – a tornado shelter per se. What they want you to do is at least go through the thought process of under these circumstances, where would be our best option? Right. And I'll be glad to speak to that. You know, not everyone has like an older building that's made out of center blocks and has a hardened room and and a central location for them to go. I run into that quite a bit, but what they do and I see people doing is like, well, let's our best option beyond something that robust is what well how about something with no windows is there a space with no windows a lot of people will divide people up into very the the two different bathrooms or to get them in a safe location if it's a hunker down Mm -hmm. type of Mm -hmm. deal and then you know obviously we have to think about there's plenty of emergencies where we have to get out of this building Mm -hmm. right yeah exactly get out of the area and we need to make sure that we got a good plan for that too and the requirement is you got to be able to account for your folks afterwards not a lot of guidance up to it other than mm-hmm. having an emergency action plan, right. the details of that are so varied. Like you said, it's hard right. for OSHA to be able to write a standard when there's no standard buildings. Right. Exactly. That's <laughs> so, exactly right. Really, and, your burden is just to identify the best option. Yeah, and, and then just go through the that. process and let the, the workforce know, and especially leadership know, and maybe they can sleep a little better at night. At least they've got a plan on what will happen because obviously we're all responsible for one another. And, you know, if you can nail that, then why not keep that momentum going? Why don't we get into a business continuity plan? What mm-hmm. will we do tomorrow if this building's not here? That's what if good. it burnt down? What if a tornado took it out in the middle of the night? What's the plan for tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Where can we point. shift operations? Do we have backup locations? Do we have things like that? But ultimately, we want to get a grip on what you mentioned and, and the young person asked in the question is, if we don't have suitable places and facilities and, and retreat locations, then what can we do? Start building one or just at least identify your best option at the moment. Mm -hmm. Just because we want to have this great internal building with no windows and center block doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight. Right, right. And, you know, business is business and it's going to continue, but we need to at least be striving forward. I would think as a compliance officer, if you came in and asked me that question and I was rattled off and says, we've got bids in right now to get this done, so-and-so, and and it's going to be here and we're anticipating late June mm-hmm. that it will be built, I think you would get some satisfaction. Mm-hmm. At least we're not ignoring it. Right, right. That's you the know? plan. That's how, yeah. what we do. We just figure out how we're going to address it as best we can. So let's talk about you, man. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about you. You um, started your own business a few years ago. I can remember we had this discussion. Yeah. I was out fumbling around like a fool, and you were calling me for advice. I was like, oh, this poor bastard. I was calling but, you. But we talked about that, and so – and. I was all in favor of that, man, because you have something to give. You have a lot of information. You've got incredible charisma. You 
you bring us in as an audience. I've heard you speak many times, and the information is always incredibly insightful. But man, there's something about you that that we all trust. You know, whatever that is, man, whatever that charisma is, whatever that personality thing is, we want to hear from you. So tell me about your business. Uh, things that you're doing, what you're do- helping your clients with. Yeah, well, thank you for those kind words. Yeah, uh, of course, um, man. It was a scary time, obviously, you know, when you've got a little bit of security under your belt and everything's going well. But I just started to reflect on what I was doing, uh, really doing out there day to day and what my employer had hired me to do. And there was just really a big uh, disconnect at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, the work we were doing together, me being part of that family and, and, and them and mine, uh, was fantastic and achieved great things. But ultimately, I started to get more into the speaking role and less into the training and consulting role. And so I went out and got evaluated by the National Speakers Association to see where I ranked in in the system. And they came back and says, you're at the top based off of the amount of money people pay to listen to your words. And I'm like, well, wow, I'm just out being me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that it was something that people wanted. And I decided to say, well, maybe we can make something out of it. And in the beginning, I went out and created a great website, and it was all perfect. And I had all this stuff, and I had my, my, my gigs lined up up in Minnesota and Oklahoma and the various places I'd go and talk at corporate events or these conventions. And it went really well from 18 into 19. And then I started doing a little bit more training because, well, Almost everyone has a training budget, but not many people have a speaker budget. Sure. And so those don't come along every day, but when they do come along, they're a nice windfall Mm -hmm. and hopefully helpful for everyone on the other Mm -hmm. end too. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to get into that, and I got that rating and became went to a couple of workshops out in Arizona with the National Speakers Association, helped me with branding, Mm -hmm. and uh, learned a whole lot. But I came home and didn't really put it to use, and I didn't do a lot of advertising. I let my website just kind of slip off because it really wasn't worth the time and effort. Uh, but ultimately, word of mouth and people in this region yeah, get to talking, and then the next thing you know, I've got one thing going and another thing going, and, and that's kind of how you and I ended up distancing from one another. We weren't really working in the same realm mm-hmm. of safety. Mm-hmm. That's true. And uh, it was good to reconnect recently, but the business has been going well, but COVID just killed all of that, yeah. and uh, oh, yeah. and I said, well, that's okay. I'll fall back on my training aspect because mm-hmm. that's ultimately what I am as a teacher, mm-hmm. yep. um, and uh, when COVID hit, you know, obviously... Hardly anyone started training. We could barely get three know, people together man. for a class anywhere. And, I uh, well, I would say it's been very refreshing over the last month. I've had groups of 16, group of uh, 18 together, getting people coming from a rapid city, flying from the East Coast and the West Coast into the heartland here because these options aren't available out there with the restrictions they right. have. So we're starting to see a real big uptick in uh, workplace safety training. Yeah, absolutely. And that's good. And so your your uh, your speaker gig, you you yeah. talk about uh, it, it's a motivational safety yeah message. Yeah, I'm not really bringing anything uh, profound to the floor. What I'm do, willing to do is talk about things that people don't really talk about. So I take your organization's uh, principles, its core values, its ethos, its belief system, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to line the safety aspect or your safety culture to line up with your great organizational culture. And how do we merge these two together? And ultimately, if it doesn't trickle down to the workforce that's out there getting everything done, then it's going to be a failed effort. So I start from the boots on the ground, folks, and work my way up gotcha. toward. And eventually I start to spend more time with the leadership of the organization to help them develop future leaders in the future mm-hmm. of the company. Mm-hmm. So my message really has to do with uh, your belief system. And one of my favorite things to tell people is like, you know, you work for a fantastic employer here and the my best recommendation to keep that marriage going is to adopt the same belief system that your organization has. That's a great And point. when you have people that are resistant to that, it's usually not going to work out very well, especially on a safety standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, those values are just misaligned, and we want to make sure that we're working in harmony and we've got each other's back. It's a check six culture, mm-hmm. and uh, it's all about mutual support. And when you have that kind of teamwork and harmony going on within the workplace, man, you probably won't lose anyone. Yeah. You, you won't message. have an attrition. You won't have to redo all this training. You won't have to groom new folks. They're already mm-hmm. there, and they don't want to go anywhere except be part of the family. That's, yeah. That's and an so it's a kind message. of a harmony message and getting an organization's culture lined up with its safety mindset. That's my primary thing. And so mm-hmm. I just call that safety from the soul, mm-hmm. mainly because it's your belief system coming out, and you do things because you want to do them instead of some regulation telling you to do it. Right. And when people want to do it, it becomes part of them, not just an act to get through the day. 
mm-hmm. or be compliant. Yeah, exactly. So, and I do a lot of I, other. I love the message. Yeah, man. I do a lot of uh, breakout sessions. I do a lot of one-hour seminars for folks that, uh, you know, are looking for something that's not in the subparts of the 1926 or the 1910. So back in 2014, started developing and working with my employer at the time on uh, workplace violence prevention and awareness, and it just took off like a rocket in 14 and 15. I think all of 2015, I was on the road probably nine months, mm-hmm. um, maybe 10,000 people total over that year I spoke in front of entire factories at a time, you know, that come in at seven o'clock and do the one hour deal for the first shift, come back at four, do it again for the second shift, come back at midnight. And I'd do that for four or five days in a row to get mm-hmm. this whole facility in, in Cincinnati done. Mm-hmm. And then boom, get on a flight and head up to York, Pennsylvania and go do their factory there. And I just kind of went on the speaking circuit and, and uh, it was considered training uh, and it was training, but in reality, the fees that were being paid and stuff ended up being kind of speaking phase and not training mm-hmm. fees and so it worked out really good and i learned a lot from it and it actually opened up a business line for me fantastic yeah well so your your expertise really is in preparedness mm-hmm. we you know you helped me with like um emergency preparedness for chemical releases we has whopper yeah um but like like you said the uh, active shooter preparedness just preparedness in general yeah and you live that I did. I mean, we I'm, talked briefly before we started talking about the workplace and the home place really should be inseparable when it comes to this mindset of being prepared. Can you talk about that a little I, bit? I'd love to. You know, you know, my philosophy is, you know, we're all, we do very well at work. We're the bearer of burdens for our organization. We, we carry a lot on our shoulders, and especially when things don't go so well when it mm-hmm. comes to someone's health and safety. So we bear that burden, but just because we do that all day long and we've got these great systems in place, and the support network and all this written guidance to keep us in a safe uh, workplace, that shouldn't stop when you go home. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying go home and work all night, but, you know, if you're putting that kind of uh, effort into the people you work around, well, what about those that are counting on you in your personal life? Being the patriarch or the matriarch of the family, that's a duty of yours. And so mm-hmm. I, I tell people, I'm like, you know, you probably got a good plan in case the house catches on fire, all the bedrooms are on there, and you're like, oh, well, we're going to go out the window. I'm like, great plan. Did you actually go buy a rope? Mm-hmm. Did you put some knots in it? Did you tie it to the bed and see if it would even hold you? Did you actually walk through the drill that you have in your head? Because your plan may not work. Right. And, in, and until you give it a test drive and kick the tires a little bit, you don't know where the weaknesses and the flaws are. So go ahead and boot out. But I do that with, you know, losing power. What are you going to do if the water's not flowing? Do you have backup water? I tell people all the time when you're in the store, go back to the camping section, grab those blue jugs and just fill them up with tap water and stick them under your, all your stairwells. No one's going to know. But if some reason, like we have a train derailment, and next thing you know, we've got a huge chemical spill in the city and everything's contaminated, and they say don't use the water for a month, well, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. I tell you what I'm not going to do. I won't have my family standing in line with milk jugs to get some water so we can brush our teeth. We're going to have that ready already. Yeah. And, and um I got to thinking when you invited me, I'm like, he's going to ask me, what's the hazard? <laughs> and I said, well, I, don't, yeah, I might not be the best person, but my, you know what my standard answer is. It's gonna yeah. be, I think our biggest hazard is sometimes ourself yeah. or other people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's easy to get up and preach to everyone on what they should be doing and all that. But when you go home, are you still doing the same thing? Are you the same person? Mm-hmm. And I think that just makes a complete safety oh, representative. I just... And I think as safety people, we should be the most perceptive people within the entire organization. Right. You are hired and provide this service, and it's not just this reactive safety. It's this proactive safety and looking forward, what can go wrong and what are we going to do about it to prevent it or handle it or whatever. And so that continuous improvement mindset, I just think, doesn't stop at work. I totally agree. I saw a great thing up in Brookings. I was up at a plant up there doing some wastewater treatment stuff from folks up in Brookings. And I was amazed when I drove in the plant, there was this green stripe that went across the driveway. And then there was a sign on the gate that said, safety starts here. And it had an arrow pointing down to that green stripe. I said, oh, I love that as people come into the plant. What was more impressive at the end of the day and I left, they had that same sign on the backside of the fence pointing to that same arrow on your way home going, safety starts here. No kidding. So they, I love that. It, it was either way, you know, we're coming into work, let's put our safety hats on. When you're leaving work, keep that safety hat on because it starts here <clears> again. That's great. Too. So yeah. I was just like, you know, that's a great message right there and there's a way to spread that word. Mm-hmm. I so totally that's what agree. I try to do. 
<clears throat> I love that message. That's fantastic because I was hoping you were going to go there because when you said that safety starts here, I was like, he's got to be saying that outside that line that's, you know, safety doesn't end. It doesn't. And that's why they have that sign on the back thing. But, you know, as safety professionals, I don't know how we can be into our work as much as we are and not be a mm-hmm. semi doomsday prepper or mm-hmm. prepper preparing for things preparing, to go Absolutely. Wrong. Anticipating. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to be doing. As you said, if you are truly concerned about proactivity, rather than just reacting and putting out fires, then you have to be anticipating, yeah. you know, where can some, what, where's the likelihood that something is going to go wrong? Where, where is the weak link? And they're always thinking that way. And for me, it, it came because I was indoctrinated to be that way from my careers mm-hmm. and my job. Let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah, give everybody just a little bit of a history about how you've gotten to this place. You've had some remarkably interesting um, experiences in well, your life. Well, some people would say foolish. <laughs> But, Maybe you know, uh, Maybe. I, I, you know, obviously, folks can probably tell, and those that have known me, I've been in the community around here for about fifteen years. Mm-hmm. But those are like, well, he ain't from here, because basically, by the way I talk, and it's not nearly as profound as it used to be. But I grew up in the Duck Dynasty part of Louisiana, uh-huh. Southwest Mississippi area, and that's my roots. And I had a typical childhood in a small town, farming town, and uh, I wouldn't change anything about it. But went off to LSU thinking I was going to play baseball for those cats, and apparently I didn't take enough steroids back in the <laughs> 80s to qualify. Well, they were available. You but just neglected to. I did. So I knew that wasn't going to ha- uh, happen. So eventually I drank my way out of that college, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why I was tell- listening to John last week talking about it. He goes, yeah, that didn't work out so well on it. <laughs> well, I got a very similar story to him. And so I went down and just decided I was going to party, and yeah. after a year they told me to leave. And so I did. And uh, what seemed like a curse or, you know, just a disaster at the moment ended up being a true blessing in my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got steered toward uh, serving our country in the Navy. And uh, for a dozen years, I was a bomb tech diver uh, in the Navy, uh, served in Desert Storm. That was my combat tours and learned a lot. But mostly, you know, a lot of people are like, thank you for your service. I'm like, don't thank me. Thank you for allowing me to serve. I needed to grow the hell up. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't ready, and so uh, I got indoctrinated quite well by the United States Navy, and um, my core values today are the ones they issue to me. <laughs> and so, you know, I learned how to really be a principled person, yes. really look out for one another, and be that selfless servant that mm-hmm. all safety professionals are. You give up a lot of yourself in safety in the service of others. That's a good point. And so I already had that kind of under my belt, so safety was a natural fit being the, the bomb tag. Mm-hmm. My last tour before I got out, uh, I was an instructor at the Navy Dive School, so apparently I was a good enough diver in the Navy. They wanted me to go teach it, and that's where I really got my teaching bug, and I found mm-hmm. my calling there. And so that was one of the times in my life that I actually felt a calling coming on, and uh, that was it to teach. And I went out of the Navy, and first job was at Florida State, taught under- underwater technology and diving. In reality, I ran a dive locker and rebuilt compressors and did all the stuff takes to do that but ultimately i would go out with all these ologists biologists archaeologists whatever ologists <laughs> right. there are and if they yes. wanted to do their job in this confined space right my job was to make sure that they didn't kill themselves getting so lost in their work yeah that they absolutely. forget about the hazards of the environment around them and so that was a good transition out of the military is to to that but i was going to go broke working for the state of florida so i went back into bombs and bullets and started doing environmental cleanup and that's what brought me to the heartland mm-hmm. I got assigned out in Sydney, Nebraska, at the old Sioux Army. And you were working for the Corps at that time? I was working for a private contractor, which is AECOM today. Okay. uh, Which is a massive engineering and design firm and uh, super strong safety. But um, I worked for them, but the quality of work that I was doing in supervisory roles, whether it be safety quality or, or the supervisory role, the Corps of Engineers noticed and made me an offer to come back into federal service after having that much time on my belt. And I thought that was a great idea. And um, got back on board with them, ended up being a safety manager for section chief down mm-hmm. at the federal building in downtown Omaha. And our job was really to send out a bunch of safety specialists and quality experts to keep an eye on these contractors, make sure they weren't ripping the taxpayers off mm-hmm. and hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. And so we were really contract administrators out in the field. So we had to cover all those bases. But it was a great job. It was a much-needed job because of all the shortcuts and all the fraud and all the things that's kind of going on when it comes to doing business with our government. And so it was a very important role, and I learned a lot. And um, I had another five-year run. I don't know. You kind of briefly mentioned it earlier, but 9-11, I don't know if 9-11 affected anyone in the audience's life that way. But uh, the following day, I got a phone call from a former shipmate. He said, send me a resume. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. 
ain't no damn way I'm sending a resume to go work for the Border Patrol down in Nogales, Arizona. And he said, no, I'm not with them anymore. I was one of the 26 air marshals that we had yesterday on 9-11. And I said, well, where the hell were you? He goes, well, we were all overseas. They didn't know we had a threat here. Mm-hmm. He said, we just got out of a meeting. It said, call everybody you know that can get along with people and shoot. And he said, so I'm calling you. So I negotiated the salary with the government and went back on board and went to the Federal Law Enforcement Academy. Went to the Gracie Fight Academy for UFC. Went to the mm-hmm. Filipino Knife Fighting School. I mean, the training was just unbelievable. And eventually grew my hair long and got stationed out of the world's busiest airport in Atlanta and just sat next to you for two hours and lied to you. <laughs> <laughs> so... Oh, not not a good job, but it was important at the time. It was an important job. Yeah, yeah thank and, you for doing and that. And we had too, the Olympics man. coming up right after that in Salt Lake City, and so it was really important that we, you know, had the whole world coming here, and we had to make mm-hmm. sure that you know we had our air, our skies protected. And I was part of that. And being a bomb tech, you know, I was kind of a commodity for them to mm-hmm. be able to fill that role uh, within the Atlanta field office. But after five years, I was just like, you know, I'm not naturally a cop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, you know, my I thing is all the all the issues or incidents I had in that role, I was able to resolve them with with my mouth, with conversation, conversation, talk people down. Yeah. yeah, and so that led to one of the most de- de- most demanded or asked for classes that I teach is verbal de escalation techniques. How do you get volatile people to calm down? Mm-hmm. And so I just took some of the modules and some of the stuff I had gotten from Federal Law Enforcement Academy. And started implementing it into our workplaces and how to really coach people up, yes. be, be an effective leader and, and engage them on a genuine level, but ultimately just try to make a connection with folks. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of problems that we have within our culture today is that no one's really taking the time to connect with one another. We're so busy at work and all the stuff that's on our plate, and then we got all these gadgets that we're sticking our nose into. And it's just the human side of of everything, especially safety, is kind of diminishing. And it I don't, I, I want to get – I want to get less into the gadgets. I want to get us back into conversations getting mm-hmm. together. And, and you asked me to come because I just, you're like, I want you to tell some of those stories that you tell mm-hmm. in class. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I can do that. Oh, absolutely, man. <laughs> I, I can just, I, I wish we would have flown together. I would have loved a two-hour conversation <laughs> with you side by side. Uh, were you allowed to knock back a Jack and Coke on the flight, or was that? No, you know, we all had our protocols, and it's kind of a regimented thing, the, pro- the procedure that you go through to be able to be on that flight mm-hmm. and to be kind of clandestine and hidden mm-hmm. and, and meeting with the crew and all that ahead of time and all your inspections that you do and make sure that the, the plane is, you know, ready to go and there's mm-hmm. not something been stashed and things. So there's a lot of stuff that we go through prior to that, and then we just try to blend in and, and lay mm-hmm. low and you know, if, you know during that role we just try to let the flight attendants handle as much as they can because it could be a ruse just trying to see if there are any on the plane oh, and, and draw them out and so you're always conscious of that interesting yeah so but you know i'm a people person and mm-hmm. i, I want to get up and engage folks and i couldn't really do that in that job yeah i see that but so Absolutely. it just wasn't the best fit but i did go back to federal service and um Hung out at the Corps of Engineers for about eight mm-hmm. more years, and in 2015, I decided to kind of shut it down without retiring, without the benefits, without anything. Um, and you and, you and, and I have that. You <laughs> and I have sure a, that we do. And we're both FERS employees, so there is yeah. a deferred retirement that yeah. you know may may one day appear. If or I may make not. it to 66 and a half, maybe it's, I'll see some of that mailbox money. I it's don't just know. a rumor as at this yeah, point, yeah. But, but I'm not counting on it. I plan on working until I'm 80. I agree. You know? Yeah, I totally will. We do things that we love, man. I mean, why would we not? I don't, you know, my wife asks me once in a while about retirement, and I'm thinking, I have just found my wheelhouse here, man. Literally, at 62, <laughs> I've just found what I really enjoy doing, yeah. and I have no intention of stopping. And if there's value in it, why would you stop? You know, if you're giving something back, you know, whatever that is. Sometimes I think it is just the relationship, just the conversation, just the engagement with the employees. Yeah. You know, we spend a lot of time as safety people on our asses typing on a computer. And all of that, I suppose, is necessary, but it's not what safety is. Right. You know, it's about the relationships, which is why you've taken so well to it. I mean, it's just about interpersonal. I have, you know, and it's a natural fit for me. My mom had told me at a young age, she said, I don't know what you're going to do in life, but you're going to make your living with your mouth. (laughs) I'm sure she did. I said, well, well, I finally got to that point, like you said, you know, uh, later on in life. And my, wife, my mom would say, why did it take you 30 years to ignore what I told you to do and, and finally right. get into that role? I said, well, I had to get some stories to tell. I had to go through some hardship. I had to go to mm-hmm. war. I had to, you know, see combat. I had to see the worst of the worst out there. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, you know, those stories 
translate into the safety message. And yeah. it's all the ugly side of things that we've all seen in our past. But I don't really like to train that way. But I, I do think that if you want the training to stick with your workforce, you're going to have to you're going to have to affect them. And that's affect with an A. Right. Make an impact. Touch them in a, on an emotional level that's going to trigger them to kind of want it. And some people do it with gory photos or these tragic stories, and I don't really go down that road. I just try to use words of inspiration mm-hmm. uh, to get them to try to think a little bit differently. And changing the way people think is very, very difficult. It is. Changing behavior is easy. You know, if you're messing this up, you know, there's going to be a consequence and a repercussion. You can be suspended for a couple of days, maybe even let go. You can change behavior. If mm-hmm. someone's doing criminal acts, you put them in jail, okay, the behavior's changed. Mm-hmm. But they still want to go commit the act. I look at it like speeding. You know, in high school, I got speed, 10 speeding tickets. I had a lead foot. Well, after flushing 150 bucks down the toilet about 10 times, uh, I changed the way I thought. Mm-hmm. I still wanted to speed, but I didn't. My behavior changed. Mm-hmm. And uh, trying to get someone to get over that hump to change the way they're thinking, not just the way they're behaving. That's a really interesting comment, man. Well, because- so we all struggle. We keep seeing our workers out here, and they keep repeating these say, same bad behaviors. And we're running these behavior-based safety programs and all of that, but we still see these bad behaviors or bad decision-making. Mm-hmm. So how do you get to the root cause of that? we got to start working on the way people think. Absolutely. You know, and not just changing work, trying to affect their behavior. we got to change right. about what, they, what their value system is. Mm-hmm. And that's what that keynote's all about. we got to get this value system of each individual worker to be in line with the organization. Mm-hmm. Because the organization is going to have most of their stuff in writing, whether it's a big EHS policy with the, the head butter cutter boss's signature on the bottom. Well, mm-hmm. that's the belief system right mm-hmm. here. It's right here on the wall where we're having this training thing. Uh, I want you to kind of help match you up with that. And, mm-hmm. and and I know the leaders within our organizations, they don't have the time for that. We're talking about how busy everybody is. Well, that includes the, the leadership also. Of course. So I get a lot of requests. Can you go out and be a field representative for me out with the workforce, kind of an ambassador of mm-hmm. the leadership? And, of course, with, you know, the way I try to make people feel and get them into things and get them motivated and inspired, they get results. And it's Nice to have some kind of cheerleader out in the field where the workers are when leadership can't always make it. Mm-hmm. So that's some of my business right there, just going out and I love that. get people motivated about it, get yeah. them to think about things, especially right before they kick off on a holiday weekend where they're going to be traveling or getting out in the boat and that safety off the job. Absolutely. There's no subpart for that. Mm-hmm. You just got to speak to their hearts and yeah. get them to think a little bit differently, you know. That's such an important thing. not message, be so reckless because I used to be there. I was – Probably one of the most reckless people you'd ever met back in my younger days. Well, you must have some control over your fear response. I, you know, that's why <clears> I'm <throat> in emergency response. That's why when you call, I'm like, I want you to work with these people on what it takes to have the courage to act. Mm-hmm. Have the courage to act on the spill. To have the courage to go and do things that most people in the company probably don't want to do. Someone's going to have to do this. And to find that team that you can put together on spill response or find that right. crew that's willing and has the courage to step up and, and be part of the response is a, um, a trait that you should be looking for in all your employees and capitalize right. on them as well. Absolutely. I think this group we're working with, these are some, these are some guys that are going to step up. I, I'm really impressed with they this They certainly group. do not lack courage. They do not. They just lack information yes, right now. Yes, that's what they need from right. us is like, how are we going to do this as safely as possible? Exactly. And this is because they're going to do it. No, they will do whether it. Whether we help them or not. And so if we, we help them to. get their tool sets and their kits together and work on their skills. Put together a basic and, and, plan of attack. And, and working in pairs, you know, mm-hmm. and keeping an eye on one another. Just changing the way they make their attack is going to mm-hmm. make the biggest of difference for them. Yeah, I agree. And, I it's, agree. and it's a brand new world for them because they've never really thought about it. So it's going to be refreshing. And uh, I believe the plant manager is just going to not just love the the response from being prepared, but he's going to re- love the response in teamwork. Mm-hmm. I would agree that he's not really seen. Yeah, absolutely. So I gonna, think so too. We're going to do some professional development. Uh, I think that's exciting beyond just safety. Yeah, yeah. I agree. You know, man, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy that. We could talk for hours, and we probably have in the past. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what even what time it is. Other than I know I've got to get my wife to the airport, so yeah, I've got uh, I got about ten forty, ten thirty five right now. Okay, we're doing pretty good. Well, you know, the folks here in the studio had come down, and you and I were just catching up on things, and we were talking about things, and they came and poked their head down in this room and <laughs> right. says, 
we're listening to what y'all are saying down here, and there's a, y'all should have the record button going right yeah, now. Yeah, no doubt, man. We had a pre-show. <laughs> didn't even <laughs> mean right. to have a pre-show. <laughs> That's exactly right. But, you know, we do a... Uh, we do some leadership discussions. I have a buddy, Aaron Cerrone, who comes in and we talk about leadership. And that would be something that you would really be helpful on as well. If you could join me again for an episode on leadership, just I would love basic to. leadership principles. <clears throat> I was talking with a group yesterday and, and I, am no, I am no authority on leadership. I, I worked for the government for 25 years, man. So we got a lot of management training, mm-hmm. but very little, little leadership training. Yeah. You know, which was unfortunate, and um, but I have seen what I believe to be good leadership. I've had the opportunity to go into hundreds of facilities, and you know it when you feel it. There's almost something palpable about it in that work environment. You know, it certainly there is a vibe about it. it and, is. and one of the things I tell people, if you're looking to be able to detect that atmosphere of whether there is true leadership going on here or is it just management going on and is there a big difference i always look at i said i always want to walk next to the safety coordinator representative or whatever because i'm not looking at you when we're walking i'm looking at how the workers react to your presence Mm -hmm. and that tells me right off the bat whether we have a leadership problem or not if they're all running and ducking behind their vehicles out at the job site or Mm -hmm. in the plant and just like oh i gotta go do something and they leave they're sending this signal that, you know, maybe the leadership is less than what they need uh, within the organization. That's one of my key ID features, just see how people, if they're waving you over because they want to share something with you, I'm like, they got no, got no problems going on here in that realm. Mm-hmm. That's you huge, know? man. That's a great observation, too. Yeah, so the first thing I look at is, like, how people react to the safety person out there and, and see what that relationship needs to be uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, enhanced a little bit. Yeah, and uh, some people just have a knack for it, and some people don't. But I had the great fortune in it to develop a leadership program with uh, the university here in town mm-hmm. and uh, the council here, and I was part of that team. And I had pitched. I said, you know, what we're lacking in the safety realm right now is safety leadership. And the, the college, with, through the Nebraska Business Development Center, uh, had a strong program in leadership, and uh, I had. I was a graduate of it, along with all my military stuff. And I said, I don't know why we can't blend some safety management techniques and tools along with these leadership soft skills. And if we could merge these two concepts together, we would actually have a thing called safety leadership. Well, we we built it. And we were only allowed 16 people per session. And each session was nine months long. We'd meet the final Friday of every month for nine months. So it's nine months we got together at the end of the month. And we just worked on all that aspect of it, change management, conflict management, uh, strategies, uh, business continuity, preparedness, all of the uh, safety management. And we wrapped all this in together and would do case studies and do walkthroughs and drills and, and teamwork type things. And it was all the prominent safety directors in town. And I think I went through probably six of these courses. Wow. And, uh, and, and there was a waiting list to get in. Mm-hmm. And it, and, Incredible. And, and my network really grew from that. And I think I had something to offer those who came through the program. I'm sure. And some of them were more like, can you come and kind of replicate that maybe in-house at the, at the company? And I'm like, we, we could certainly – see what we can build for you. And so I do a lot of leadership, and it's my favorite topic whatsoever mm-hmm. because I actually get you to learn a lot more about yourself. Exactly. How are you going to lead other people if you can't even lead yourself? And you're not going to be able to lead yourself unless you know yourself. No doubt. So we need to know who you are. You need to know who you are, and we're going to help you with that in a self-assessment, and then we're going to apply your talent to go out and engage the workforce. That way we do have harmony, we do have cohesiveness, and we do have this check six, I've got your back culture. And if people start thinking that way, you know what? Written programs, SDSs, JSAs, all these little mechanisms that we have within our profession, they're just going to be so much easier to see that uh, lay itself out every day when we go to work because everybody gets it. Yeah. Instead of just a task or this is the way we do it at XYZ Company, it's no longer that. It's just that's who we are mm-hmm. as an organization, and that's who we are as individuals within this organization. And that's the kind of harmony I try to create mm-hmm. and have, you know, those kind of training sessions. Yeah, I folks. love that approach. Yeah, I don't yeah. really train. You know, I'll do a little bit of lecturing, but what I really do is facilitate a great discussion. 
Yes. Because I believe most of us out there, who's, we all sit in the same classes together, we learn more from one another than we sometimes do from the person behind the podium. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So, you know, I've had a great run on that. I'd like to continue to do it. But, you know, well, I had mentioned to you that I'm actually trying to make my way from the podium more into the pulpit. And instead of the saving lives aspect of things, I want to start trying to help people maybe with their spiritual life a little mm-hmm. bit as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are searching for that right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting too, man. We're coming out of this last year with a lot of wounds, yeah. it seems like. Yeah. You know? A lot of relationships have been busted up. The distancing and not being able to engage is really starting to take its toll on it one has. one. Yeah, we talk, I've had guests on talking about mental health. Yeah. You know, when we talk about employee well-being, we should be talking about occupational safety, occupational health, mental health, spiritual health. All of these things that comprise each and every one of us, and all of those things need some nurturing, some care, and uh, that's a big, I mean, we're really just lucky if we can get a few of those subparts down, oftentimes it seems like, so. Yeah, well, you got everything around us in our environment right now, whether it comes from the airwaves or through the electrons in our devices or whatever, it's kind of like pulling us all apart in, Mm -hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. And to be able to come back and have some kind of mechanism that brings us together where we can just disregard all the outside influences that are, you know, they're ripping just, that apart. Just so what us. we do is we have to lean on one another. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes just that, that greeting in the morning and that upbeat spirit and that positivity, you know, it just sets the tone. And next thing you know, everyone's kind of come around. But this is everything. You know, people listening know all this. This mm-hmm. is nothing new. Yeah. It's just sometimes it's difficult to implement it when everything else is just kind of, yeah. yeah. you know, kind of icky. Yeah. Well, man, how do people get a hold of you? The people that have listened to this and said, "I've got to, I've got to, I've got to get more from this guy." How do how do you want them to reach out to you? You know, if people want to contact me and see if there's something we could do together, um, email, best way phone, is email website. me or text. I used to have a website. I shut it down. I'm on LinkedIn. Yes. If you want to find me on LinkedIn, it's Chris Bryant, uh, B-R-Y-A-N-T. And you might want to put Shep, that comma Shep, S-H-E-P behind it because there's a lot of Chris Bryants out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but put that in. You'll find me. Put Omaha in the search on LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn, man. We can start a dialogue there. Or they can just text me directly. If you send me a text, I'll probably reply to you within an hour or two. Do you want to give your phone number? Yeah, or? my number is 402 917 Seven four seven six. Okay. Four zero two nine one seven. They can all. They can also get to. Oh, I'm sorry. I interrupted yep. the number. Do the number no, one more 402 time. 402-917-7476. And they can always they can go get through to, you. Yes, they can get to you through me if That's they care right. to do that as well. Yeah. So. And I live out in the country. That's all by design. You know, it's part of my preparedness thing. You <laughs> know, you say, "What's the hazard?" I'm like, "Other people." <laughs> no doubt. Uh, but so you know, I lived Indeed. in the Omaha area for about ten years of my fifteen here. But over the last five, I've been out in. Um, out in the rural part of it, and I love it. I got me a little hobby farm, and I got my chickens, and I got my seven. I'm going to come out and visit you. You got to come on out. We'll do some range time and yeah, uh, load you up with fresh farm eggs and uh-huh. all the stuff that's coming off the homestead. So, Oh, I love it, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that invitation. Doug, I appreciate you having me here, man. Uh, like you said, it started. It's been way too long. It has. And now we're actually going to engage a project together. Yeah, um, and hopefully more. Yeah, more more. I would love to. But I, I would love to get you connected with all my clients. The message is so important. The gap that you are filling is the gap that uh, that I'm aware of. I see it every day. You know, we can handle this technical stuff. That's pretty easy. And that's when I send them to you. Yeah. If you want the that, technical stuff, then you call Doug. Yeah, that's, that stuff's fine. But the piece that you're talking about, that leadership, that missing leadership piece, that missing human side the of human it. side of it yeah. that has somehow been washed out of what we do is so important and everybody needs to get back to that if you are serious about your employees well-being then you need to address that piece amen so you know, you're not in the task business anymore if you're in safety you're in the people business that's exactly right and, and one of the best things that you can develop and work on is being a great me- messenger of it. Yes. We've got plenty of people out there. Everybody's got their CSPs and we've got all these well-educated people. We can formulate solutions, but that on that aspect of things on the technical side, but when it comes to the engagement with the workforce, uh, there's really not a lot out there and there's certainly nothing in the subparts of OSHA about no, it. Absolutely and so not. we we don't want to forget that element. That's right. Because that tells the workers out there that you are investing into them 
and they're just naturally going to reinvest back into you. Mm-hmm. People like to do business with friends. Yes, they do. And it doesn't cost you a dime to be nice to folks, but it could cost you everything if you're not. I totally agree. I know that's how your business has grown. That's how my business has grown. Uh, I, you know, we just want to be part of your family. We want to help you any way we can. I mean, that's yeah. that sounds almost corny, but, it, you know. It's not corny when you think about it. But if that's we, really the driver. Yeah, we have no secrets in safety. Yeah. You know, your company might have a certain way they do things, and that's a proprietary thing, or your formulation on a chemical is all top secret and all that. But when it comes to taking care of one another, none of us should have secrets. Right. No secrets in safety, man. I completely agree. If you're doing that, then you're not doing this right. Yeah, no doubt. We're all humanitarians in this line. Yes, exactly. And if you're not, you might be in the wrong <laughs> You job. might be in the wrong And <laughs> that happens. Hey, it does. And you find out fairly early on that this – I, I don't have what it takes to do this, the skill set or whatever that is. Right. You have to have a very particular skill set to be able to do that, you know, with these people, interact with people, care about people. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, and it's got to be genuine. Truly. If what it's, it's not about. genuine, uh, the, the workers and everybody's out there can see right through it. It just has to be who you are. And if you're not there yet, well, then that's why we're always trying to professionally right. and personally develop to be a better us the next day. Exactly. I work on it every day, and I got a lot of faults. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I totally get it, man. It takes effort every day. Yes, but sir. But it's worth doing. Yeah. Man, it is so good to see you. So good to have you on the show. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. If people want to get a hold of you, they know how to get a hold of you now, and I hope everybody reaches out to you. And I, and if they don't want to comic, contact me directly, please go through you, Doug. You know yep. you, you know me as well as anyone around yep. here, and you can see, like, cool. yeah, that's definitely in his wheelhouse. Or Now, he probably will defer that back to me type of thing, but, well, you know, we'll it doesn't see. hurt to ask. No, exactly. And I appreciate you having me on. I was a little weird about it. I was like, oh, I'm going to get on there and say something about the world, and the next thing you know, I'm going to be the crosshairs of the cancel culture out there. <laughs> right. I'm like, good Lord. So I think we're going to be all right with this one man but let's do it again and we'll see if we can't cross that line next time yeah well you know what i'm not afraid to i have no fear absolutely only thing i fear is letting people down and the lord above yep and and letting him down so um i'd love to come back and let's do it maybe we'll get into a little hotter topic when it comes to my preps and why we could just keep walking right up to that edge and straddle it that's how i like to live well i want you to uh, i want to say thank you to you and and i want you and all the listeners out there to have a blessed week ahead and man i tell you what if there's anything that obviously that you or i can do that all i got is reach out we're a sin button away absolutely yes sir that's it Thanks, man. Yes, sir. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you have a great weekend, and uh, we'll be talking to you next Friday. Thanks again to my sponsors, CCS Group, Nebraska Department of Labor, and Fallowage Construction for helping out, guys. I sincerely appreciate it. Take care, everybody. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. A Huda Media Production.